Well, good morning again. Our Christmas story continues from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to jump right into our scripture today, Luke chapter 2 now, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please add your blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of your word? And give us an excitement, God, about what you have done for us, what you have done for the whole weary world coming to us yourself to do for us that which we could not do for ourselves. Make atonement for sin and lead us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake, both now and forevermore. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. And now please bless us as we study your word more in depth and think about what it means to be amazed in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. So we've heard the story about Mary uh, hearing the news from Gabriel that she was going to have a child and that the child would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and Mary was amazed. So amazed that she rushed off to her relative's house to share the joy with her. That's something that amazement just naturally ought to do, I think. 
Just um, If you're really amazed, if you're in awe of something, you just instinctively want to share that with somebody. Don't you? Whether it's uh, a top 10 play from SportsCenter that your favorite athlete pulled off, or something as mundane as that, or a miracle that came from heaven. Either way, you just have this urge to, to want to share that with somebody else. Well, Mary had that urge, and she did, and she and Elizabeth were amazed together. The shepherds had that urge, too. The first they say to one another, can you believe it? And then they take off, and they go, they go to see what the angels were talking about. And, the, and it says there in verse 17 that they, they had to spread the word as they were on their way back from seeing the sight. They had to spread the word, and everybody who heard their story Likewise, like the shepherds, like Mary and Elizabeth, everybody who heard their story was amazed. Amazement. It's an idea that can be fleeting for me. How about you? When is the last time? Maybe you can think of a few times and you can jot them down. Times you have felt genuine amazement, like you were floored, time stood still, and you just were standing in awe of someone or something. Maybe you can think of some times. Can you think of a time? Some heads bouncing up and down. Maybe this year? Just go back the past month, maybe. Did anything this past month just really grip you. And you were, the, the best word that you can use to describe it is you were in awe. Now, how long did the feeling last? Because I can think of several things that, 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 that got me there. Gave me that experience of awe and amazement. But they were fleeting Something came up that distracted me or that pulled my attention away from that thing, even though it was amazing. Something pulled me away from it pretty darn quick in each time. And it's curious to me, why is that? It, first off, it's not really that easy to, to come across that, that sense of awe and amazement. Not a lot of things really knock our socks off really take our breath away in today's world. But then we, even when they do, you know, they, go, they don't last. Why is that? Uh, and then just as I was turning this over this week in my mind, I get a daily devotional from a pastor named Sky Jatani. He writes at withgoddaily.com. It is free if you'd like to check them out, withgoddaily.com. And one of his devotionals this week he opens with him describing a Peanuts cartoon. And I think it's Charlie Brown and Lucy are outside under the starry sky, and they're looking up at it. And then Charlie Brown says, can we go watch TV or something? I'm starting to feel insignificant. And I think there it is. There it is. The feeling of amazement makes me feel small. Write that down this morning. The feeling of amazement makes me feel small. And I don't like that. Not really. I don't like that. Because when I feel small, 
I'm liable next to feel unimportant, unnoticed, and maybe unsafe. When I feel small, I'm liable now to feel unimportant, unnoticed, and unsafe. And I wonder maybe, just maybe, our inability to feel amazed and stay amazed is at least in part some subconscious desire in me to avoid amazement because I want to avoid feeling small. It's uncomfortable to me. Children aren't like this. You know, when you talk to a child, you just expect them to be amazed, don't you? I see Petra uh, in the office brings her kids you know, to work every day, and it's nothing for her to say, oh my gosh, can you believe this, Alexander? Look at this Lego thing. It's amazing. And she expects him to reciprocate. His eyes will get wide, and he'll be amazed. For children, it's no big deal, is it? But I think that's because they're surrounded by adults all day. And if I'm a child, everyone is bigger than me. Everyone is stronger. Everyone is smarter. Amazement just abounds. And it's not the least bit threatening. But somewhere along the line, we grow up. And we get to be more or less the same size. And amazement gets harder to come by. And when I find it, it quickly fades. But this Christmas, this Advent season, I want to encourage you today, and maybe this is the mega point of today, I want to encourage you today and in this season to embrace feeling small. Embrace it for at least two reasons. The first one is it's the truth. Like Charlie Brown and Lucy standing under the sky. It's the truth. I really am small. Why not embrace the truth? I lived in Italy for five years, from 2002 to 2007, and serving in the Navy, and a year as a civilian after that, after getting married. And on more than one occasion, a friend of mine, or maybe it was a visitor, a family member who had come to visit, and I was playing tour guide. On more than one occasion, though, somebody would critique the giant Catholic cathedrals, or statuary, or paintings, all the, all the time saying something similar, something like this, it's just designed to make you feel small. And so that religious people can control you. Yeah. And they're probably right. For sure, one of the purposes of making churches that way is to, make, to draw your gaze upward, heavenward, and to remind you that you're small. And for sure it is true that too many religious leaders have and do exploit that feature toward unethical ends. But if you need a building to feel small, I don't know what to tell you. I think you must be living in some kind of form of denial. Because of course you're small, brothers and sisters. Of course we are small. It's just the truth. Embrace it. Now, amazement, being amazed at anything, is going to make you feel small. Feeling small makes me feel 
unimportant, unnoticed, and maybe unsafe. Questions are, am I small? Yes. Yes, I am small. But the next question is, am I unimportant, unnoticed, or unsafe? It's in the pages of Scripture and in the Christmas story specifically that we find what I, really, what I believe is really the only truly satisfactory answer to those deep existential questions. Yes, you are noticed. No matter how small you are, Look who God starts the Christmas story with. A young girl and shepherds. Nobodies. God himself leaves heaven to be confined in a womb. Unimaginable, powerful truth. Yes, you are important, then, the Christmas story says, because God did not just send you a blessing or a Christmas card. You're so important to him that he sent you his son. Are you safe? Today? Maybe, maybe not. But ultimately... Yes, and you can trust this all-powerful God who loves you so much with whatever may come today. So it is okay, my friends, to embrace your smallness and to sit or to kneel before an amazing God. It is no easy thing, though, to embrace smallness, even more so for us Americans. Do you want to do something big with your life? Be a world changer? Perhaps plenty of college campuses have those phrases emblazoned across the quad. Do you want to change the world? Christian, do you want to do something big for God? Very common things for an American especially to think or to want, to desire. But for most people, it might surprise you to hear that that thought really doesn't cross their minds much. I had the wonderful blessing of being able to take a week of study leave and travel with my eldest over Thanksgiving to Italy for some research and for some time together. We had many churches, uh, chances rather, to feel small, not just by the buildings I talked about, but by the age of the civilization itself. And you know, that history that those people live in every day that history has a huge effect on how people understand their lives and on how they find meaning. Our American experiment, it's only a few hundred years old. 
And in, those, in that short amount of time, the blink of an eye, historically speaking, what have we done? We've kicked out global superpowers. We've conquered, you know, from sea to shining sea, the wilderness, built cities and an economy like, the likes of which the world has never seen. Inventions, medical advancements, outer space, aviation, goodness gracious. And our heroes tend to be the singular figures who have had an outsized influence, right? The, the, the Henry Fords, George Washingtons, Abraham Lincolns. It's almost as if it's in, programmed into our DNA to expect to do big things. If you're an Italian, that's not there. You live in a neighborhood where people have lived for thousands upon thousands of years. You, the foundation of your home may have been laid by Roman slaves. We went underground in the city of Naples to see that the ancient cisterns support downtown. It's called Spacanopoli, the old town. All the com- it's, it's a concrete jungle is what it is, and it's all held up by the same walls and foundations that house the ancient cisterns fed by the Roman aqueducts. In fact, uh, the uh, grand theater that Nero himself performed at has been cannibalized by the growing city. And you can go and see parts of it that are still standing today, but the theater itself has been absorbed. It's still there. It's just been absorbed. You can't notice it. You wouldn't notice it. It's been absorbed into the buildings and the neighborhood. If you grow up in a situation like that, everything around you echoes the fact or reinforces the fact that mm, you're maybe not quite so such a big deal in the grand scheme of things. The Italians, it seems, have this, this built-in buffer against taking themselves too seriously. They're like that child surrounded by adults. Of course they feel small. When you share the gospel with an Italian, you can start with, God sees you and God loves you. And that's good news. To an American, you say, God sees you and God loves you, and that feels like a bumper sticker slogan. Every coffee cup, every television ad tells you, you're a star, you're special, you're going to make a difference. An Italian will say, come on, God cares about me? Don't you think he has bigger things to worry about? An American might say, yeah, I know God cares about me. What difference does it make? Is that you? God loves me? Whoop-de-doo. What difference does it make? Maybe you need to go back to the old country, as it were, and remember how small you are until the news that God sees you and that God cares for you sounds amazing again. You should embrace the feeling 
of smallness. Because reason number two, only the small can be amazed by God. Only the small can be amazed by God. Maybe you need to remember how far God came to save you. Remember that God made himself small just like you so that you would understand his love for you. God made himself to be sin even though he knew no sin, the Apostle Paul writes, so that he could make you little old you, righteous like him, an heir, an heir to the kingdom of heaven because he sees you and because he cares. An American needs to feel small in stature and sorrowful over his sins. And just then, at that moment, just when he's, when he's, when he's starting to feel that fear, if I'm small and if I've messed up, am I, am I still important? Am I still worth noticing? Am I still lovable? Am I still safe? Just at that moment, he's ready to hear the good news of the gospel. Fear not, the angel says. Fear not. You are greatly loved. It's telling that these first two groups of amazed people, the Holy Family and the shepherds, were so small and insignificant, even in their world. You know, Jesus' ministry was marked by his attention to and his care for the small and insignificant. An announcement to shepherds, born to a young girl, friend of sinners and tax collectors, toucher of lepers, exalter of women. In the very same way, he came for you to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to look for opportunities to feel small this week, and I'll invite the musicians to come on forward as I, as I close here. I'd like you to look for an opportunity to feel small this week, and don't shrink away. And when you feel that sense of amazement, and then you want to reach for the phone... Not to take a picture or take a note, but to check a text or play a game. Resist the urge. And instead, sit in the moment of amazement. Embrace the feeling of smallness. And then, do me a favor. Warm my heart by sharing the stories with me about how God speaks to you. Let's start our practice of feeling small by just marveling, marveling at the story we've heard here today, marveling at the love God has for you and how he's shown us this love through the bread and the juice that we're going to take together here in just a moment. To help prepare our hearts, our musicians are going to minister to us in song. So just you can just sit and contemplate and as they do, prepare your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to 
search you, to show you any sin that needs repented of, uh, and to encourage you, to amaze you as we prepare to dine on the Lord's Supper together.